I have been going to church. I got saved in 1975, so I've been going to church for 45 years. I've never heard that before like that, where you just point to the card and they play bell. That was absolutely beautiful, kids. I'm, I'm not kidding. I love that. And uh, I, Nancy, I think we ought to get us a set of them and we could do specials with that. Or at least I could stand up here, you could point to the card and I could do it. That was, that was a blessing. That was really beautiful. Thank you so much for letting me be part of today. We have just absolutely enjoyed our time here, enjoyed Preacher's Family, and uh, were treated with lunch out at, uh, at, at the home of Pastor Donnie and, and Sonia, and we just so enjoyed that. What a great family. And uh, I'll tell you, when you get all them together, there's a little action with those kids, you know. <laughs> And uh, man, we had Barbie dolls out and tractors and trucks, and it was, it was a great afternoon. If you're a grandparent, you know how fun that is and how good that is. But it has been a joy to be here, and I am so excited for you and just what God is going to do in this place over these next years, and uh, just looking forward to hearing how God blesses this place and uses it. And we will certainly be praying for you and joy and just asking God to bless you in a great way. Well, I said my theme today was going to be faithfulness, and I want to continue on that theme tonight. I'd invite you to turn to Psalm 89. Psalm 89. And as you turn there, Psalm 89, we'll just, we're going to look at a number of verses, but we'll just read the first eight verses as our text. <clears throat> Psalm 89. Verse 1, the scripture says, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. With my mouth will I make known thy faithfulness to all generations. For I have said, Mercy shall be built up forever. Thy faithfulness shalt thou establish in the very heavens. I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn unto David my servant, Thy seed will I establish forever, and build up thy throne to all generations, Selah. And the heavens shall praise thy wonders, O Lord, thy faithfulness also in the congregation of the saints, for who in the heaven can be compared unto the Lord? Who among the sons of the mighty can be likened unto the Lord? God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints, and to be had in reverence of all them that are about Him. O Lord God of hosts, who is a strong Lord like unto Thee, or to Thy faithfulness round about Thee? Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for the privilege of being in this place today. It has been an utter joy. Lord, we thank You for the way that you guide and lead. We always stand amazed when we see providentially how you have worked. And Lord, we simply acknowledge that you are the omniscient one. You know more than we could ever know. And our job is to trust you and follow you. And Lord, we just thank you for how you've worked at Landmark and how you've worked in lives. And Lord, I pray tonight that people would just be encouraged and helped. May we see from the scriptures that we can count on you, that you love us, you know exactly where we are and what we need. 
Help us to see truth in Jesus' name. Amen. I love the concept of, I love the word faithful. To me, I think it is one of the highest Christian character traits. And uh, I don't think it's above love or above faith, but I love the thought of faithfulness. I love the testimonies of men who have been at, at it serving the Lord for many, many years. I, I love the testimony of people who have been faithful to teach Sunday school classes for 40 and 50 years. I, I think the greatest crown in heaven will be given to someone who has taught junior high boys for over 40 years. They deserve it. Amen? Nursery workers who work in nurseries for 40, 50 years. I love that. I love faithfulness in marriage. I, uh, I'm old enough, and some of you are too, to remember uh, the broadcast of Paul Harvey. And I enjoyed that broadcast. And I loved especially one segment that he would have. He would call it the Tournament of Roses. And uh, he would announce the Tournament of Roses, and then he would talk about a couple uh, who had been married 60, 70 years. I think on his broadcast, the one that I heard that was the longest was a couple that had been married 76 years. And then uh, about, oh, maybe two months ago, I was sitting in our home. We were watching the evening news to catch the weather and a few other things. And, and just as one of those human interest segments, they panned out to a little town not far from us, Asheboro, North Carolina, and they had a picture of a lovely old couple, Don and Willie Williams, both over 100 years old. And they had been married 82 years. And their church was just a wonderful little Baptist church, were celebrating their, their 82nd anniversary. And they were both had driven to church that day, and they drive, and goodness gracious... And, and they're sitting there, and on TV, I just love this, they said to Mr. Williams, they said, well, what is the secret to being success, successful in marriage for 82 years? And I loved his answer. It was concise and brilliant. Keep God in the center of it. And I thought, man, what a wonderful testimony. There's just something beautiful, beautiful about faithfulness. Now, having said all of that, and appreciating all the faithfulness of men and women in service and to each other. Can I just say this? That on our best days, any acknowledgement of our being faithful is nothing more than just a recognition of God's faithfulness to us. And we don't often think about it, but one of the most treasured blessings you and I possess is that God is faithful to us. I love Psalm 89. I don't know about your Bible, but mine has ascriptions. It, it has a little introduction to the psalm. And, and my Bible says that Psalm 89 is a masculine of Ethan the Ezraite. Now that word masculine just very simply means it is a poem or a song written to instruct. It, it is written so that uh, instruction to God's people can be made. And I noticed this. 
In the first eight verses, four times I read the phrase, for example, in verse 1, will I make known thy faithfulness to all generations. Look at verse 2. Thy faithfulness shalt thou establish in the very heavens. Look at verse 5. Thy faithfulness also in the congregation of the saints. Look at verse 8. Or to thy faithfulness round about thee. Now, I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but I get this, if it's a masculine and it is written to instruct, and four times in the first eight verses, I see a reference to the faithfulness of Almighty God, I get it, Psalm 89 is to teach us, God's people, about God's faithfulness. Well, then I notice who wrote it. It's written by a man named Ethan the Ezraite. Now, just when I see that title, the Ezraite, I know something about him. He is of the tribe of Levi. He is a Levite. And as a member of the tribe of Levi, his job, his calling, was to be an instructor in the truths of God. He was, his life was to know the Word to know the God of the Word, and to teach, instruct, and he may well have been a priest of God. And so here we have a man, Ethan, who is an Ezraite. His job is to teach the Word of God. He's been charged to write a mascal about the faithfulness of God. Well, I also noted as I began to study this man that according to 1 Kings 4 and verse 31, and you don't have to turn there for the sake of time, his wisdom is compared to the wisdom of Solomon. Now, it doesn't say that he is as wise as Solomon, but I would suggest to be in the same verse of Solomon's wisdom, you're a pretty wise guy, you're a pretty smart guy. I have never taken a course in Hebrews, Hebrew, okay? But I do have a strong concordance, and it makes me dangerous at times. And so I wanted to see, what does this name Ethan mean? So I looked it up, and I was simply astounded at what the name Ethan means in the Hebrew. It means permanent. So here we have a man, Ethan, whose very name indicates that he is a constant, permanent, faithful man, who is a Levite, who has great wisdom himself, who is charged to teach the people of God, who is commanded to write a mascal under the, or, the uh, uh, inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he, and he begins to write this treatise, this poem, on the faithfulness of God. Now, I want you to also notice this. When was the psalm written? I could understand God writing a psalm, God ordering a psalm about his faithfulness being written if it was written when David was the king of Israel. Because David was the sweet singer of Israel. He was the man who was after God's own heart. I, I mean, the kingdom is growing, and, and he is such a, a wonderful Bible figure to study. He was a flawed man, like all of us, but a wonderful Bible figure. I could understand if God would say, remember how faithful I am, if it was written when David was king, but it wasn't written when David was king. I could even understand it if this psalm was written when Solomon was king. 
Because under Solomon, the kingdom reached its greatest extent. It built its most beautiful cities, its greatest libraries. It had the greatest armies. I mean, it was the grand kingdom of earth. I could understand if God wanted to write a masculine about his faithfulness when Solomon was king, but it wasn't written when Solomon was king. Do you know when it was written? It was written soon after Rehoboam had such poor discernment and he listened to the unwise counsel of some young men instead of receiving the counsel of the elder men and the kingdom was split. Jeroboam came back and took ten tribes and became the northern kingdom, the kingdom of Israel with its capital at Samaria. And Judah was left with just two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, with their capital at Jerusalem. And the faithful people of Israel and Judah looked at that and thought, it's all gone. Well, God promised, but it didn't come to pass. And what? Well, we don't know what's going to happen to us. We don't know what's going to happen to our nation. Everything is falling apart. And God says at that moment, in that time, in that circumstance, Ethan, remind my people, I am faithful. I don't know about you, but sometimes in my life, it feels like it's all falling apart. It feels like everything is changing. It feels like everything in the world is upside down and not working out right. And I want you to know that Ethan's message to Israel in Psalm 89 carries the same importance for you and I in 2020 in our lives, in our world. God speaks into our lives and says, would you remember, I am faithful. And what I say I will do, and what I promise will come to pass, and I remember who you are, and I remember where you are, and I remember what you need, and God is faithful. Now, because God is faithful, in the rest of this psalm, Ethan kind of defines for us what should our reaction to the truth of God's faithfulness be. Let me give you five. And I'll be brief. Here's number one. Because our God is faithful, God's people ought to celebrate God's faithfulness. God's people ought to celebrate God's faithfulness. Look at verse one. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. With my mouth will I make known thy faithfulness to all generations. Somebody ought to write a song using those words. We are such blessed people. Yes, I know difficult things happen to blessed and good people, but we are blessed people. And yet, can I just give you a truth about us? Sometimes we are so quick to grumble and complain about our circumstances in the midst of being the most blessed generation and the most blessed people that have ever stood on top of planet Earth. There was a time when Israel was in the wilderness. And I want you to remember the wilderness they were in. They were in the 
wilderness of Sinai, the desert of Sinai. It is arid. It cannot support life. There are not natural wells of water that are easy to find. There was no way that they could have sustained life. And yet for 40 years they wandered in that wilderness of Sinai. And not one day, not one day did Israel over those 40 years ever go hungry. Every day, God supplied, other than the Sabbath, supplied in the morning that wonderful thing called manna. The Bible says that it was a color of coriander seed, a beautiful white, said it had the taste of fresh oil. And they would go out and they would collect enough for their family that day. The day of this before the Sabbath, they would collect enough for two days and it would make great and nutritious bread and they, it sustained them and it was good tasting. And for 40 years they had it. And you would think in the midst of that, when they were walking in this arid, horrible place, every day they would shout praise to the Lord. But I want you to understand that in Numbers chapter 11, in the midst of God's unbelievably gracious provision, they looked to the heavens and they said, we have nothing but this white bread. And they literally became loathing of what God had supplied for them. Now I want to tell you, that's not an innocent thing. And God did not consider it an innocent thing. And God punished them for that grumbling and that complaint. I am not suggesting to you that when we get a complaining spirit, God is going to throw a lightning bolt at us. But I am suggesting to you that we deeply grieve the heart of the Spirit of God. When in the midst of His blessing, we have a complaining spirit instead of a praising spirit because all of us have been blessed incredibly with the faithfulness of our God. And instead of complaint on our lips, there ought to be a song. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. I will sing, I will sing, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever, even when the traffic on 64 is bad. <laughs> even when it rains for weeks on end. Even when winter won't go away. Because God is good to me. And because God is faithful. And every day I rise, there are new mercies. And God proves himself to be faithful. And folks, it is not an innocent thing to have a complaining heart in the face of an ever-faithful God. Here's number two. Our faith can rest on God's faithfulness. Our faith can rest on God's faithfulness. Notice verse two. For I have said, mercy shall be built up forever. Thy faithfulness shalt thou establish in the very heavens. Boy, there's not a lot of things that we can count on in this world. 
The truth is, men will sometimes disappoint us. What is popular today will most likely be forgotten tomorrow. It just seems like everything's always changing. We live our lives in seasons, and sometimes I just want to scream out, I want it to just stay here. I want it to stop moving. I want it to stay here. It seems like what we have today changes for tomorrow, and, and we live in the world of technology where it's never the same five minutes in a row. We recently had to move. We, did, we moved to North Carolina, and we had to downsize. And that's easy for my wife, but I love my stuff. And so the entire basement of our house was stuff I knew I needed. As we were cleaning it out, I came across my hula hoop. And I said, honey, these may come back in. And she said to me, what would you do with it if it did? My knees don't work like they used to work. I don't look like I used to look. It just keeps moving. And can I say to you that sometimes it's frightening when everything keeps moving? And sometimes it's discouraging when things are always changing? And sometimes we wonder what will come tomorrow? What do we do tomorrow? What's going to happen tomorrow? And, and the truth is, God speaks into our lives. And what He wants us to understand is that even though it is always changing, He is provident over change. And He is not moved by change. Now, I want to get deeply scientific for a moment, okay? I don't know if you noticed it, but tonight the sun went down. Did you notice it? It got dark. Now, this is deep science. Tomorrow morning, the sun will come up. Now hold on to your hat. I'm going to prove to you I've been to public school. <laughs> Tomorrow night, it's going back down. You say, preacher, are you just being silly on purpose? No, my God isn't silly. And my God said His faithfulness can be seen in the heavens. And I want you to understand something that we may just discount. We may just put off the truth that the sun comes up and goes down. We may put off the truth that spring becomes uh, uh, summer and summer becomes fall and fall becomes winter. But I want you to know that a good and gracious God made those things to be so that we could live and see the change and understand that He was in control of the change and if He can move the sun and move the stars and if He can change the seasons He knows just where you are and He knows what just happened and He knows what you need and He knows where He's taking you and He knows how to get you there and our faith we don't have to live with a spirit of fear we don't have to live concerned about what tomorrow holds, we can live with a faith in the faithfulness of our God. 
Boy, this morning we sang that great song, and I love how the songwriter put it. Listen. Summer and winter, springtime and harvest, sun, moon, and stars in their courses above, join with all nature in manifold witness. To what? To thy great faithfulness, mercy, and love. Sing it with me. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. God knows where you are when you're sick, God knows where you are when you're lonely. God knows where you are when you're fearful. And God knows exactly how to bring you out of that place. He knows where he is taking you. Trust him. Here's number three. No human faithfulness can be compared to God's faithfulness. Look at verse eight. O Lord God of hosts, who is a strong Lord like unto thee or to thy faithfulness round about thee? We started this message talking about faithful men and faithful women, and I've been privileged to know and serve alongside of many of them. Hey, I want you to know that for 45 years since 1975, I have been trying to study the Bible. I pray. I want to be the man that God wants me to be. I wanted to be the pastor that people needed me to be. I wanted to be that. But can I tell you, as much as I love the Lord and as much as I try to be the man that God wants me to be, hang around me long enough. I will disappoint you. I will disappoint you. But can I remind you tonight, there is one who has never disappointed you. He has never failed you. Every time you've needed him, he has been there. Everything you have needed, he has provided. He has never failed you. You know what I get weary of? I get weary of people who say things like this. Well, I'd go to that church, but there's too many hypocrites down at that church. Well, la-dee-da. This church is filled with people who don't always do as they ought to do. Is that a shock to anybody? But I don't come here because you are the perfect group of people. I know you're not, and the guy talking to you is not. I come here to worship the one who is perfect and who has never failed me one time. One of the things that my wife so enjoys, not really, since I have been retired and occasionally I'm there on grocery shopping day, and I love to go push the cart and just go with her to the grocery store. I don't know why it's a sickness. I don't know. 
but she does not really enjoy it, but I go anyway, and, and we only shop at the finer stores, so we go to Walmart to do our grocery shopping. And there is a, there is a person at Walmart who stands at the door, door, wears a blue vest with a yellow happy face on it. And that person's job is to make me feel good about being at Walmart and to make me feel special for being at Walmart. They are to greet me two weeks ago. I am dutifully pushing the cart into Walmart. I make eye contact with the greeter who turns and walks away and does not greet me. Now, can I be honest with you? I'm not going back to Walmart. There are too many hypocrites at Walmart. They wear smiley faces and blue vests, but they don't really care about people at Walmart. Hey, newsflash, I don't go to Walmart for somebody to make me feel good about myself. I go to Walmart because the peanut butter is cheaper. Why do you come to church? You come to church because somebody needs to make you feel better about you, or do you come to church because it is the command of the Savior who has saved you and who has never failed you and will never leave nor forsake you? He loves you, and you come to worship Him. Hey, get your eyes off of men. I know that there are legitimate Things of people's lives where, where men have truly hurt you, where people have hurt you. I get it. I am not denying that. I'm not discounting that. I'm not belittling that. But I'm telling you, He has never failed you. Come and worship Him. Here's number five. Four. I love this. God will be faithful to you. Look at verse 24. But my faithfulness and my mercy shall be with him, and in my name shall his horn be exalted. Now, it'll take me two minutes to develop this. This psalm is written to assure Israel that God's promise to David is not going to be set aside. God's promise to David was that there would be one in perpetuity that would sit on the throne and rule from the throne in Jerusalem, and that is going to be fulfilled in our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And God is saying, <clears throat> David, don't think that my promise is going to be of none effect. I'm going to, you are going to see your son, Jesus, reigning from Jerusalem. Now, I look at that and I say, well, okay, I understand that God would speak to David because David is David and say, David, I'm going to fulfill my promises to you. But I'm me. And God wouldn't feel obligated to fulfill promises to me. Now listen to me. You and I are formed out of the same clump of dirt that David was formed out of. And though our name may not be David and we may not have the title of king, we are the children of God.
And as God's children, He has a plan for our life and a purpose for our life. And He is as interested in fulfilling in and through our lives His plan as much as He was in fulfilling what He had promised to David. And you are of great value. And I am telling you that God wants to use you and will use you and He will keep His promises to you. You can bank on that. Here's number six, five. I don't know what number it is. I'm Mike Edwards. I'm sure of that, okay? Your sin does not change God's faithfulness. Look with me at verse 31. We're almost there. If thou break my statutes and keep not my commandments, then will I visit their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. Nevertheless, My loving kindness will I not utterly take from him, nor suffer my faithfulness to fail. David failed many times in his life. I don't mean to to downplay it. He failed with his immorality. He failed, I think, in many ways with his family. But there was something about David that when he failed, he was willing to acknowledge it. When Nathan came and preached to David, David did not deny that he was the man. He admitted that he was the man. And David wanted to be right with God. And we are all flawed people in this room, and we have all failed God in this room to include this preacher. You have got a transparent preacher in front of you tonight. I'm just telling you, we've all failed. But our failure does not negate that God wants to use us. And if we will have tender hearts, contrite hearts, broken hearts for the way that we have failed God, God will restore us and God will help us to fulfill His will for our lives. I love it in Acts chapter 13. It says of David, David fulfilled all of God's will. Wait a minute, preacher. David was an adulterer. Wait a minute, preacher. David murdered Uriah. Wait a minute, preacher. David counted the people. He was a, he was a flawed man. Yes, but he was a man who got it right. You know what we do sometimes? We use our failures as an excuse to not start again. We use our failures and we somehow think that God would just as soon be done with us. And I want you to know that is not true. The picture of God is not a God with a clenched fist. The picture of God is a God of open arms. That prodigal. Went down to the far country. I I can't imagine a young man who could have been more dishonoring to his father. To have demanded his inheritance, to get his inheritance, and to immediately leave the presence of his father and dishonor his father in all of his behavior in the far country. And, And I love how simple the Bible is. It says, as that prodigal son sat in that pig pen, He came to himself. (laughs) 
And when he came to himself, his thought was this. I don't deserve to go back to my father's house. I don't deserve to ask him for mercy. But you know what? I'm not going to sit in this. I've been wrong. And I'm going to go back and I'm going to put myself at the mercy of my father. And I don't know what was in that prodigal son. I I guess maybe he could have had the thought all the way back from the far country to his home. Listen, I'm probably going to get beat. He's probably going to just nail me with stripes. and, And he'll probably make me live in the servant's house. And I don't think I'll ever be the son or have the position of the son. But it's better than the pig pen. I'm going back. I think he fully intended or fully thought that he would be beaten. And as he goes down that road, (laughs) and as the father sees his prodigal returning, you see the the father? Oh, that father comes out in the road, and there he is with that clenched fist, and he's ready. He wants to... Oh, wait, that's not my Bible. Is that yours? Here he is. And he's standing there and he's saying, hey, you're my son. Let's get this thing fixed. Let's start over on this thing. Of course you're welcome here. I'll never forget, I was preaching a message and I had a man come down front and he was a, he was a member, a long-standing member in our church. I had led him to Christ and he struggled with something in his life. And he came down in the invitation. Normally he would weep. Normally he was at the altar and he just stood there. And I made eye contact with him and he, he went like this. And I went down to him and I said, how, what, how can I help? And he said, I don't think there's any use for me to be here. I said, well, what do you, what do you mean there's no use for you to be here? And he said, I've come for this same thing. What you just preached on, I've told God five or six times I'd get it right. And I would get up from that altar and I would go and I would purpose to get it right. And sometimes I'd make it a day, sometimes I'd make it a year, but I'd fail. This thing would get me and and I'm back down here because you preached on it and I I feel bad about it and I, I don't know what to do about it, but I don't think God wants me down here. I want you to know. I told him, God wants you here this time. And if you fail and come back down with a right heart, God wants you here the next time. I said, I'm not excusing your sin, but I'm telling you, the devil whispers in our ears, God is done with you. God's done with you. And so we just settle into a marginal life. We just settle into a life that says, I can't have victory. I can't have joy. I I can't be used. Nonsense. And God looked at a man like David, and God looks looks at us, and He says, listen, I will never withdraw my faithfulness from you. And if you will have a heart that is broken, a heart, a spirit that is contrite, and you will come, you will not find God like this. You will find Him like this. Always ready. Stop using your failure as an excuse to not start again. Okay, I'm done except for one more thought. You know what else God is faithful to do? 
save each and every one who will come to him by faith. That's amazing. I told you I wasn't saved as a child. My parents were good parents, don't misunderstand me. But they weren't, they weren't Christian. We went to church infrequently at the best. We were left to ourselves. and They got saved and got right. <laughs> and though they had not raised us in a Christian home, they were going after us now, my brother and I, both married and in our own families. My mother arranged so that the custodian of a church would speak to me. And this custodian of the church was a soul winner. I mean a soul winner. And he backed me into a corner one day, into a water fountain here and a wall here. And for 45 minutes, he told me I was a sinner on my way to hell. I mean, he preached the gospel to me. I got out of there, and I was shaking. I did not trust Christ. I thought, if I can get home, my wife will be there, the baby will be there, I'll play with the baby, and I will get this horrible feeling off my mind and my heart. I got home, and they weren't there. They were where women always are. They were shopping. <laughs> I went over to the bookshelf. Our mother had given, my mother had given us a Bible. We didn't have a Bible. Little awards Bible, not a fancy Bible, no red letters, no maps, no notes, just a Bible. And I promise you, I'm not a proponent of opening the Bible and preaching from there, but I want to tell you the Bible opened because she had opened it. It opened to Romans chapter 10, 9 and 10, where my mother had taken a ruler and a red ink pen and underlined those verses in verse 13. That man had spent 45 minutes telling me the gospel. My eyes landed on verse 13, and it said, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And man, I went over and made my sofa my altar. I kneeled down, and I prayed, honestly, the most deeply beautiful theological prayer you've ever heard. It went something like this. God, if you can save somebody like me, will you? And he did. And he's still saving people today. You know why? Not because we pay, pray theological prayers. Not because we do this in praise in a worship service. Because he said he would. And because he's faithful to his word. And he's faithful to do what he promised. And so we close with this. I know our world is upside down. I know our politics are a mess. I don't know what our nation's going to be in a year or four years or ten years or if we'll be a nation. I don't know what will happen to me physically tonight or tomorrow. But I know this, I know my God doesn't change, and I know my God is faithful, and I know that in the midst of any circumstance, I can celebrate his faithfulness, and I know that I do not have to live with fear about tomorrow, I can live with faith. 
because he is provident over the changes that come to my life. I know that men will fail me and I will fail others, but he never will. And I know that he has a plan for my life, a purpose for my life, and he will be faithful to me. And I know that when I ultimately fail him, I can get on my knees before him and say, God, I'm dust. And I blew it. Will you forgive me and restore me? And every time, he will. Our God is faithful. Would you pray with me?